This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Hi, this Johnny Eccles from Love, and y'all be listening to Pathion Podcast. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Karma police arrest this man. He talks in mass. He buzzes like a fridge. He's like a detuned radio diggers. Hey, hey, my, my, it's the rock and roll archaeologist coming to you from Pantheon HQ in San Francisco. Oh, I think that's two lyrical references in the same opening. Hmm. Must be something's up. Let me get some quick business out of the way. This week is a shout out. Um, We have a new Patreon supporter, uh, and that is Sherry from Northport, Florida, uh, coming in with a $5 monthly pledge. Uh, We sincerely thank you, Sherry. Your contribution will go to help cover our hosting costs uh, with almost 30 shows now and uh, hitting over 100,000 listens in September. Um, that number uh, grows. The costs uh, go along with that. Um, so, you know, perfect timing, Sherry, from uh, Northport FLA. Hey, you too can get the reserved seating package like Sherry for a $5 pledge at patreon.com backslash rock and roll podcast. Uh, that gets you uh, a mention on Deeper Digs uh, and our social media. Of course, if you'd like to step up to the $20 VIP seats, well, you can get my voice for a one-minute call uh, for a special person in your life, uh, a birthday, uh, to just say hello. Um, I can leave um, uh, something on your voicemail. Uh, I can I can do whatever you want for one minute on the phone. Uh within reason. Now, we don't really expect all of that. Uh, In fact, just a $1 a month 
uh, pledge goes a long way and uh, gets you uh, certainly on our eternal gratitude list. Again, go check out patreon.com backslash rock and roll podcast. All right, that's plenty for this week. Let's get going. A lot to learn about today. music, culture, technology, and we do a great job on the music and culture side of the triangle. Uh, But to be honest, uh, we are a little light on the technology side of the structure. Uh, We we do get a chance to discuss it a bit, uh, usually when we have our engineer friends on the show, like Toby Scott last week. But I'll admit uh, it's the rare topic of our supposed three equal sides. Well, today we are going full nerddom. We are going deep. And what's really cool is this is timely. Instead of talking about how 45s changed the course of history or moving from four track to eight tracks, making all the difference in how music was produced, uh, we are going to dig into the digital delivery of today's music. What you are hearing today is crap. <laughs> yeah, what you get, what you listen to uh, is crap uh, as far as quality of the signal. Not talking about the music. Uh, that's a different subject. And you should be provided uh, with a much higher quality listening experience. With me today will be Phil Baker who has just written a book to feel the sound along with the Cape Crusader of high-quality audio, Mr. Neil Young. Neil has been on a quest to literally save music from the deteriorating quality of the music signal since the dawn of the digital age. Neil is positive. The CD, which was the first delivery platform that superseded vinyl and tape, where the output uh, was actually inferior to what came before it, and that each iteration of the digital age has just gotten worse. Um, exhibit A is the MP3. And I agree. Uh, it's not hard to see. Um, okay, I mean, it's not hard to hear with just a little education. So Neil, not one to just complain and leave it be, ramped up the campaign in 2012 when he released his autobiography, Waging Heavy Peace, where he laid out the problem in greater detail. Then he put his money where his mouth was and went to work creating the necessary tools to make this a reality. 
he made the Pono device and an online store to purchase high-res audio tracks. Now, if you know the story of the Pono, it is considered a, a failure. But I'm pretty sure failure in technology usually just is a stepping stone to success. First, Neil is really not interested in becoming a tech giant. Owning a mobile audio device to take over some market wasn't a huge success, just saying that that's not the motivation. So Neil, like a good technologist, is not deterred by the failure of the product. It's the mission that is critical. So he does the next step in keeping the conversation alive by releasing the neilyoungarchives.com website, where everything Neil has done, warts and all, uh, is available in the highest audio format. Um, it's all there. Uh, it's proof that this can be done and done fairly cheaply and comprehensively. Go go check it out yourself. Again, neilyoungarchives.com. And that gets us to our guest today, Phil Baker. See, Phil is a real technologist. He has a long career in Silicon Valley, mostly on the consumer hardware side, and he holds more than 30 patents. Uh, Phil has been Neil's right-hand man on this crusade. Eh, call him Robin to Neil's Batman. Phil is currently the CEO of the Neil Young Archives. And along with Neil has written what is now just the next chapter in this ongoing conversation to get the music world to stop providing poor audio to the consumer. I don't know. Uh, shame the rest of the industry. Get it together and give us the best listening experience available. I think it's working. Uh, listen to this interview and then you let me know what you think. So let's get to it. Diggers here is Phil Baker. Phil Baker, welcome to Deeper Digs and Rock today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to have a great discussion on uh, a very interesting uh, technological subject. Uh, this book, uh, your, your book, To Feel the Music, uh, that you wrote along with Neil Young, should not be considered a standalone project, um, you know, or kind of a treatise on a particular need by researchers, uh, nor is it about Neil Young, uh, though his story is prominent in it, but it is a part of an ongoing conversation that Neil and yourself are trying to have uh, with the music buying public as well as those who produce the work, right? Right. It uh, chronicles the effort that Neil began many, many years ago trying to improve the quality of the music or the quality of the audio 
the the clarity of the audio, not so much the content of the audio. And these, and and especially in the digital age, in the digital age, as as music has gone digital, his uh, concern has been that the quality of the audio has gotten worse. Unlike so many other activities going on in the digital age. Okay, um, so almost everyone knows Neil's musical story, and if not, <laughs> I'll save that for a time when I get to sit down with him myself. But can you give our diggers, our fans, uh, your background? Well, my background is a technologist. I started out uh, designing products, hardware products. Early in my career, I designed cameras for Polaroid, and then I moved along in the digital age and designed printers and products for Apple and a number of other companies. I've done a couple of startups, including probably one of the most well-known accessories for the Palm Pilot, and that was a folding keyboard, full-size keyboard that fit into your pocket. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I had a Palm Pilot, yeah. It was called a stowaway. And uh -huh. so I've always been in the hardware side of product development and uh kind of grown up through the analog age into the digital age and uh, have have worked for a variety of companies in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. So how did you come to meet and work with Neil Young? Neil was trying to develop a, uh, a product that would allow him to demonstrate what high quality audio really was. And he was trying to bring this product to the masses. You know, if, if you're an audiophile, and I'm not, but audiophiles tend to get access to great music because they can spend a lot of money on equipment and mm -hmm. go out and find the best quality recordings, but they pay a premium. And Neil just felt there was something wrong. He wanted his music to get out and be enjoyed by everybody, but not only his music. He wanted every artist to be able to demonstrate the quality of their music that they record in the studios. But he found that there were a lot of obstacles for that really great music to get out in the mainstream. And so he wanted to demonstrate a product. He wanted to design a product, I should say. And that product he named the Pono, which was a music player. Sort of like an iPod, but much higher quality music. And he wanted to make it simple and he wanted to make it affordable. So being a hardware engineer, he found me and asked if I could help him develop the product. Um, I think if we go back, this starts with Neil's realization that digital's first consumer format, the CD, didn't sound as good as the vinyl versions of his songs uh, or even on tape, right? Right. Uh, and I wasn't aware of that. I'm, I'm an engineer and it escaped me that the CD was a degradation of the quality that we would we, that we used to hear on a, on a vinyl or on tape. And as I learned from Neil, a CD, because it was new, got a great response. Everybody said, well, it's new, it must be great. Well, you, you lost a lot of issues that uh, you had with tape and vinyl, uh, especially vinyl, the popping, the degradation of the vinyl itself, uh, the need for, uh, you know, high quality um, speakers uh, and uh, needles and things like that, that would, you know, a, a physical interaction uh, as an engineer, you know, would over time create uh, uh, degradation problems, right? That's right. And so... When CDs came along and they said, okay, yeah, removed all that. no more scratching, you don't have to 
treat the media very carefully and the digital content would actually allow you to get rid of all the background hisses and noises. People thought, well, this is technology. Technology is on the advancement and this is going to make for a much better medium. But as it turned out, it, it, it had its own flaws. It, right. And its own flaws were that it threw away about three quarters of the content of the original recording. So it three was quarters, compressed. 75%? 75%. And because it's, you know, the way digital works is it samples, it takes little time slices of the recording. And it doesn't take every slice. It throws away some of those slices. It compresses because the CD had a limitation to how much data you can put on it. And so the engineers wanted to make it more efficient. And so they ended up compressing the audio and throwing away a good portion of it. But what remains... So does that mean dynamic range? So there's two kinds of compression. There's digital compression, which is throwing away the bits. And then there's audio compression, which is how you treat the recording after it's made. So you want to maybe increase the lows and the low volumes to make them a little louder. And you may want to decrease the, the very loud passages to make them a little softer. So that's a different kind of compression. And that has a problem on its own, but that doesn't throw away data as much as it modifies the original recording. And most recordings are compressed audio in some ways, mm-hmm. yeah. although, yeah. although Neil doesn't like doing time. that at all. But <laughs> Really, he doesn't prefer uh, using compression in the studio. Huh? No, he likes the soft to be soft and the loud to be loud, and uh-huh. and he wants and, the and, original. And so the dynamics to be natural, exactly, be performed by the musicians themselves. Exactly. Okay. You know, Neil is throughout the whole development process. He always focused on trying to bring to the music lover the same thing he hears in the studio, and that meant no equalization, no adjustments, no. Uh, changing the bass or upping the bass to make it sound different. He always wanted the faithful reproduction of what he recorded in the studio. And he heard it in the studio and he thought his fans deserved to hear it wherever they listened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so in the 80s, because of the shift to this new format, this digital format uh, known as the CD, he began to uh, discern that there were real significant differences from the vinyl versions of his songs because, you know, Neil now has been in the music business for, you know, 50 plus years. He did. And I, in the book, he describes how he tried to go in and edit his music that was recorded digitally. And after a few hours, his ears hurt, and he didn't realize what was going on. And so it was, it was a fatigue? It was an actual fa- uh, ear fatigue? It was ear fatigue. And um, Christian, you know, when you listen to a lousy pair of he- headphones, you can't always tell it's not very good, but over a period of time, your ears get tired, then you realize either the music isn't good or the equipment is, is lacking. Yeah, I usually blame it on the music first, but I get your point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be the music or the quality of the music. So, right, 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 right. And so Neil realized in the studio that, gee, this, there's something wrong here. And that's when he, when he realized that and looked into it that he found out that, gee, there's really... CD and digital music, uh, as as good as they can be 
for certain purposes, had some weaknesses, and the weakness was the ability to reproduce accurately what he uh, recorded in the studio. Right. I do remember, you know, when the CDs arrived, at, you know, this was uh, the final solution for everyone. Uh, you know, these were would be permanent, uh, which was not the case either, and uh, in, you know, quote-unquote perfect digital audio. And in fact, even, um, you know, some of the old CDs, if, if you could get an artist who recorded digitally and then it was mastered digitally and then reproduced digitally, a DDD, that was the best of the best. But that's not really the case, is it? It's not. And I was with you. I remember buying my first CD player and I would look on the edge of the, on the spine of the, of the CD and I would look for the DDD because that meant it was digitally mastered, digitally recorded. It was, you know, the cream of the cream. But so... When I started working with Neil and I learned a lot from him, I said, gee, I'm an engineer. You know, I'm not an audiophile, but I always bought good equipment. And that was something I wasn't aware of. And I think a lot of us are not aware, we're not aware of it. And, you know, I think even today, some people still say, gee, a CD is fine. It's good enough. Uh, it's convenient. And, um, you know, I don't think um, we're saying don't buy CDs that they're not good but what we're saying is it couldn't be, your music couldn't be better well you mentioned that there's a degradation loss of 75 percent of uh, what is being created in the studio by the time you get to uh, the digital format we're, we're still talking about cds in the book you have an interesting uh analogy uh that you've used and that's the screen uh, and how uh, how one would see a visual using a, a screen, and that each of the little squares represents, um, a, you know, a digital byte. Am I explaining that correctly, or can you explain that to you me? You are, in more and I detail? think the analogy was to photography, and and I've, you know, early in my career, I developed cameras, and uh, so I was very uh, very attuned to sharpness and, and and image quality, and and we all know that now when we have our you know, we look at our iPhones or and look at number of pixels, and pixels are what count. And so, yeah, it, and I think it was three million pixels all of a sudden. Once once the cameras, the digital cameras, got to that point, that kind of equaled a thirty-five millimeter. Exactly. Camera. I remember when I bought a three uh, megapixel camera, my first camera. My wife bought me an anniversary gift, and I said, oh, this is equivalent to film, because the, the resolution on photographic film was equivalent to about 3 million pixels per per 35 millimeter frame. And so we were there. That was good enough. And yet, uh, we all know photography continues to improve, and and it gets better. Yeah, I think my current phone has a 12 megapixel camera. Right, right. And, and they're, you know, they're getting even better. So I think in the case, uh, the analogy between the film and the and and digital music is that in the case of um, of a camera, you break up the scene in, into many pixels, and each pixel has a representation, and it's a, one of a particular you know subset of colors, but it's not the exact right color. It's the closest you can represent with the number of digits you use. So it's the same with music. And uh, the the more resolution you get in music, the better it is. And the CD is sampled roughly um, 44,000 times per second. Um, and so it, it, it has a certain resolution. And yet the 
original recording is, if it was done digital, is more around 200,000. Oh, wow. So you really lose a lot of the the continuity of the scene, the continuity of the music, and a lot of the nuances. So when a CD is recorded and it records 25% of the content, you know, they try to throw away the kind of the content that's less useful. It's not just scaled perfectly, but they'll, you know, they'll throw out some of the lower sounds because you, they'll assume you can't hear it. And, and some of the trailing off of the, the resonance of, you know, say us, when you pluck a string, you hear a resonance. Yeah, the vibration uh, that uh, even continues beyond the human hearing is what you're saying, right? Right. And so that's what's cut off. And so when you listen to a CD, it sounds great. It's particularly to the average, the yeah, average, to the average person. Mm-hmm. But when you're listening carefully, you don't hear the ping of the triangle. You don't hear the harmonics of the string. And you don't get the dimensionality. You don't place the instruments around the room that you might do otherwise and so it's subtle for amateurs that haven't really heard it before but for people it's got to be excruciating music, for professionals like neil it it really is and and like yourself as well you know you're a musician and so you know how it should sound and when you listen to it it's not sounding anywhere near what you had hoped for and that was what neil discovered when he went back to mastering and he spends days typically mastering and oh yeah his music and it just didn't sound right didn't sound the same way that he expected or it did before he started using digital equipment so that's what you mean with the title to feel the music you're missing uh the the real feeling by eliminating these nuances and subtleties right that's right and music permeates the body many different ways and not only through the ears and it affects our our mind i mean when we hear great music we remember things that happened when we heard that music the first time and yeah. it just makes yeah. us feel good and feel happy and and so there's a lot of subtleties to the music. language of the universe it's the language of the universe absolutely and you know neil felt that technology and the record companies the two entities he really takes the task for this right. were very, very um, irresponsible in what they were doing to music. Okay, so things seem to go from bad to worse uh, from the CD uh, to the MP3. So can you explain what the difference is when we went from, from a CD to now you know the MP3, which is kind of today's standard, right? Sure. Ex- well, yeah, exactly. Uh, so... Apple developed the iPod. We all know that. We probably all bought one and tried it. And at the time, it was based around a little hard drive that Toshiba invented. And, you know, Apple... Yeah, I think like a two-inch hard drive that could fit into a small enough package. Exactly. And hold a, a, a large amount of data, hence songs. Right. So when Apple discovered that, uh, this new little device they said well we can build a product around it let's put music on it and let's create itunes and create a a music service and they sort of specked out what they were going to do with this so this is how the ipad ipod was invented and one of the things they wanted to do was allow 
people to put a huge library, you know, 10,000 songs in your pocket. Yeah. That was, that was, it was amazing. Of, it was amazing. And <laughs> none of us thought about what that really meant, yeah. but a but, walkman on steroids. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so the way they did that was they took out even more of the content, the digital data and the music, and they took a, what was on a CD and they took about 20% of that. So they, they reduced it even further. So we've gone from three quarters loss to 20% of, of that. So now we're less than 10%? Yeah, we're almost about 5% of the original content, of the original data. And again, they tried to, to minimize the, the impact it had on our listening. They would you know, remove some bits that they thought we wouldn't hear as much or whatever. But still, it was pretty flat. And, you know, non-dimensional, very, very, um, I mean, we loved it because we could just say, hey, I want to search for this particular song and a second later you'd be listening to it. So the convenience was was awesome. But what it really meant is it, it reduced the content of the uh, of the of the song file. So it was uh, it was just a kind of a shadow of what was originally recorded. So from what I understand, uh, you know, uh, through all recorded audio history, um, which, you know, began about 150 years ago uh, until the 1980s, every iteration and technological improvement was to enhance the listener's experience, right? That's right. And if we all, if we're old enough, we'll remember we, we went out and we bought better speakers and better receivers and we were worrying about distortion and worrying about all kinds of equipment that we would use and the, the, the stylus and, and the turntable and the accuracy. And throughout the ages, and, and I, I discovered it, which was when I was touring the Musicians Hall of Fame in Nashville on a vacation in the middle of the Pono Project. And I, you know, looked around this museum and all this equipment that was developed. You know, everyone was through the ages was trying to make the music that we heard at our homes when we couldn't be at a performance. They wanted to bring us back to the experience of being in a live concert. And so bigger speakers and wonderful tape recorders and, and all sorts of gadgets. And so music through the ages got better and better. And we were able to really enjoy music in our home at a level that we never had been able to do before. And this was both on the producer's side, the artists themselves, the labels, the technologists who were trying to recreate the live experience, as you've just explained, but also on the consumer side uh, to achieve uh, the sound that was being created with higher end speakers, styluses, platforms and you know, record players uh, and, and so on and so forth right that's right it was you know there's, there's sort of a several links in the chain that all add to great music and it starts in the studio with the best equipment and and then goes to how you listen to it and, and the environments and the acoustics of the room and so forth so everybody was focusing on what do we need to do to create great music and to bring it to the music fans so they can enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So if I can, I'd like to bring a new wrinkle into this, and that's there is a Scientific American Research uh, article uh, called the Million Song Data Set. Are you familiar with that? Um, not exactly. I've, I know some research related to that. But... Where basically timber and pitch have declined uh, since the 1960s, but loudness has increased. Are you familiar with the loudness? Yes. Story? 
So, you know, 50 years ago, uh, music was created first with melody and lyrics. And today it is created with the beat. Um, so it's kind of a flip between how artists created the the inception of a piece. Um, isn't all that this a part of the overall problem as well? Or... Is it a result of artists adjusting to the new realities of the music as it's being presented to the public? Well, I'd, I'd want to go back and reference it, but it sounds to me like when you don't have the um, subtleties of the music, then loudness and uh, the beat and the kind of products, you know, that one maybe one reason uh, beats were successful was that they upped the bass, they made it thumping loud. And people wanted to hear the loudness, or they wanted to feel the vibrations rather than the subtleties of the music. Well, maybe that was the only way to achieve to feel the music in this new digital format. It may be, yeah. It certainly could be. But clearly, uh, musicians recognize this. Many musicians recognize it as a problem. And I think a lot of uh, people that discover it that haven't listened to quality music are somewhat surprised after they listen to it. One of the concerns that, that Neil has had and we've all had is that there are many people today that have never heard good music. They've grown up on MP3. Yeah, good uh, good radio. music uh, production. Good no. music. Not not the not the. We're not talking about. Uh, oh, we're not uh, talking about the genre. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No, great music today. I'm not. Yeah. Wouldn't go there. <laughs> yeah. But we're talking about. They've never heard good audio quality. As it's presented, so as it as it was meant to be presented. Right. Right. And and you know beyond the MP3, of course, there's streaming, and streaming is even an even bigger decline is even a bigger decline. And most people today uh, use streaming as a way to get their music delivered. And it's, you know, it's convenient, it's great, but most of the streaming services are very, very low quality, probably comparable to MP3. Uh, some try to do a little bit better, but they're all, again, a fraction of what a CD quality is. Mm-hmm. So we're not even, <laughs> we, we've just continued to go backwards since the 1980s. That's right. And so what was so odd and, and this, is, me- this is really strange. I mean, I just don't understand what is the benefit. I, I, I mean, strictly, it's got to be an economic one of the, the cost of putting uh, this material onto uh, these portable players and then, of course, streaming, right? Right. So it is odd. And I think... It, Neil felt it doesn't make sense. He was frustrated and people around him like myself, you know, couldn't explain it. So here's here's the predicament. Uh, Music is just a bunch of audio. Um, It's digital now. And the record companies decided, well, if we're going to give you more bits, if we're going to give you higher quality digital, we're going to charge you more. So Neil was so frustrated. We all were frustrated about that because we tried to develop a Pono with a music streaming music service where we would we would be able to sell high quality music. They forced us to charge more for the music. Even though the cost to do so was negligible. 
Right, the cost is the same. I mean, you know, it's it's almost like I was I was thinking this morning on the way on the way to the studio. It's sort of like you go out and you go to a wedding photographer and you say, I want to photograph, I want to hire you to photograph my wedding uh-huh. or my daughter's wedding. And the photographer comes back and says, well, it'll be $2,000 and I will give you the prints in low resolution. But if you want them in really high quality <laughs> prints, you want an album that's sharper, I'm going to charge you 5000 Even though my time and the materials don't cost any difference. Exactly. And that's the analogy, I think. Yeah, that's very good. That's very good. So, but maybe, you know, the labels are used to this, hey, first we sold them 45s, then we sold them albums, then we sold them 8-track tapes, then we sold them cassettes, then we sold them CDs. You know, maybe that's just the business model. Well, that has been the business model for the record companies. They want to sell you a performance in in one format, and then they want to resell it again and again and again. And you would think Neil might say, hey, that's that's great. Good I make me. more money. But I, could, <laughs> I saw him and I was with him. And I was in the room where he was so frustrated and he was arguing with the record executive saying, this is not fair to the fans. You know, they shouldn't have to buy the same performance over and over and over again. Uh, he was really a consumerist, you know, mm-hmm. as good as any consumerist that I've ever come across. And so he was very frustrated. And I think the musicians were as well, because it reflects on them, you know, and it was part of the frustration and part of his effort to try to do something about it. So, you know, the thought from uh, the labels uh, appears to be that, you know, look, they can always make new product, the next thing, uh, the next artist, the next song, the next hit. And so the concern uh, is that, well, geez, you know, this is uh, back catalog. Uh, we don't really care that much about it. And I think that's an unfortunate belief because um, that's not necessarily true. You can actually, and it's been proven time again, that, you know, back catalog, especially um, in the rock and roll era, is still very valuable if it's put together and presented in a, a new and unique way. It gets snatched up. Uh, these box sets, uh, you know, uh, higher quality vinyl and things like that uh, are all doing so. So it seems like there is really a market for high quality audio, right? Well, there is, and it's growing, and vinyl sales are increasing, and there's there's a lot of uh, good sign. It's still a very small percentage of the revenue that the record companies get. Most of their revenue is from streaming, and streaming has sort of saved them to 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 a yeah, great degree. Yeah, and, but, yeah, yeah. But, the record, the the business is kind of back on the rise here because exactly. Of streaming. Mm-hmm. And you know, the streaming companies, uh, I wouldn't say a technology. Uh, they started out streaming MP3, and you know MP3 works on all different, uh, you know, on on the old cellular networks and home networks, and so they don't require much bandwidth. And then when you listen, you don't need fast internet speed. And yet, over the years, the last twenty years, we've gotten much faster networks. So th- that's no longer a limitation. And yet the streaming services continue to use the technology that 
that was uh, in the twenty, you know, the latter part of the twentieth century. Even though our networks and memory are much more effective and much less expensive. Um, I want to switch subjects a little bit because let's talk about music preservation. The fact is, is that you know these artists, um, Neil included, uh, recorded on tape, usually two-inch tape, uh, being the the most common standard, that are then housed in these warehouses that uh, you know are need to be brought out uh, through a process of baking, uh, you can then get like one or two uh, runs at the information, depending on how old that tape is, to transfer it to a more survivable format. Isn't that true? That's right. And um, that's a big concern of Neil's. And that's the other motivation for trying to focus on the record companies developing a market for higher resolution music. If you if you charge more, the demand is less. They don't sell. Therefore, people don't hear the higher quality. They don't ask for it. And eventually the recording artists record in lower quality. And what happens is there's no demand for higher quality. So there's no effort to take these old recordings on the two-inch tapes and create high-resolution digital content and preserving. One thing digital is great for is preserving uh, recorded analog music because it's digital. It doesn't degrade over time like tape. And so he's on a mission to try to convince record companies to go back into their vaults, take all this great tape music, you know, from the beginning oh, from of recorded 60, music. 60, 70, 80 years right, ago. Right, right. And, and to put them on, on high-quality digital uh, masters. And, Christian, you mentioned earlier that the big fire in, in L.A. of a universal warehouse. Yeah, 2008, the universal fire. I mean, if that doesn't prove the case, then I I don't know what does. You know, and it's not just the fact that uh, these tangible items can, you know, go up in uh, in smoke, uh, literally literally and figuratively, but uh, they degrade naturally uh, over time and and need to be uh, preserved for those reasons. And, you know, to your point, uh, the cost, which was, you know, fairly prohibitive uh, in the past. It just doesn't exist uh, these days. I think uh, in 1980, uh, one megabyte of data cost $6,400. Uh, and uh, and I got this out of the book. And then today, it's less than 0.007 cents, right? It's almost free. It's so cheap. Exactly. And memory was a big issue. Well, we go back to the iPod and you know, memory was was a very expensive. It was on a hard drive, and now yeah. memory is in a chip. Yeah, a physical. Yeah, an, an actual physical hard drive, uh, as opposed to a, a, a chip these days. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about bigger files requiring more memory to store them any longer. That's no longer an issue. And so there are devices out now. There's there's uh, many nice music players similar to what we did with the Pono that. You can put in a um, a memory card or a mem- memory chip, and still have your you know five thousand albums or whatever you want to do with you, and it's very inexpensive, and it doesn't need to be compressed music anymore, and yet you can't go out and buy though you can't find a lot of music now that's 
uh, in high res. So you guys go back to this several times in the book, and, and that is, uh, you know, the difference between how we consume video versus how we consume audio. And, uh, you know, one of the best examples uh, that I found was, you know, the HD uh, television versus standard television. You know, you very quickly get used to the uh, enhanced image and refuse to go back and see, uh, you know, a favorite movie in poor video quality. And so what I think you guys are saying is that that would happen as well with the public if they were given uh, high-res uh, audio uh, as a standard, right? Exactly. You know, there's no reason not to give it. Some people might argue, well, most people can't hear it. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I get that argument. Yeah, uh, and people are and, not going to no notice at first. And, yeah, and so our answer is, well, if you can't hear it, that's fine. Don't spend your money. Don't buy the high quality. But you know, let other people go out and buy it. Don't prevent them from from doing it and let people buy whenever they want. And, you know, ultimately you shouldn't have to decide. It should be, you should get the very best recording that's possible. And it certainly won't sound worse if you don't appreciate it. It'll sound better and it doesn't impact you at all. Yeah. If, if there's not an economic reason to, you know, hold this back, I'm not quite sure I understand the argument on the other side. Well, that's right. And that's Neil's argument as well. And, and he and I have gone, met with record companies and argued this. So, you know, when I was working with them, I said, well, Neil, it's obvious to me, have you talked to the record companies? Have you talked to the CEOs of Warner and Sony and Universal? And what do they say? And he says, you know, I've talked to them, but let's go back and talk to them again. And when we did talk to them, they said, you know, we understand. It makes sense. What you're telling us, we agree with. But you know what? Things are working right now. We've had great success with streaming music. Spotify doesn't uh, doesn't want to, mm -hmm. you know, change their model. And our accountants say if we're going to sell higher quality music, we've got to charge more for it. And Neil, even back, though we have established, right, there is no additional cost, cost right. <laughs> and Neil will go back and say, well, you don't sell it, so what difference does it make if you? Well, we have to do it, and you know, and now some of the streaming services can charge more because they can have a higher tier level now. So some of them are putting in a little bit higher resolution and they're charging us more, you know. So it's it's all being driven by money and by greed. Yeah, that that to me that's just greed because, you know, look, the marketplace is about fair value. I give you a product uh, at a fair value price and you pay me for that. Um and there's value to the product that you're getting. What you're telling us here is that there is no value difference between poor music quality uh, uh digital music quality versus uh high uh, digital music quality as it exists today. Certainly no difference in producing it, in the cost of producing it, right? It's all the same. And uh, unlike all of the technologies, all of the digital technologies. Which is all about improvement. Everything gets improved. So you have uh, an iPhone, and at one point it might have been five megapixel camera, and now 
what they do instead of cutting prices they give you better and better quality for the same price yeah yeah that's That's why i go out and buy a new phone is because there are enough toys and bells and whistles on it to make me you know desire uh, that when you get right down to it and that's how your home uh hd tvs work you know we used to my first oh i can't stand to watch uh, my first one was 700 lines and now you go out and you can buy 4,000 and 8,000 line cameras for I mean, yeah. uh, monitors for, you know, a fraction of the price. Yeah. That's just the nature of the technology industry everywhere except music. Let, let, let's look at where the, the music industry finds itself today. I mean, by the 1990s, the CDs have eclipsed all of the formats, and these guys are making money hand over fist. We know this. Uh, but then the next technological developments change how people consume music. First is file sharing, which disrupts the music business by reducing the value of recorded works to almost zero. Uh, the second is, as we have discussed uh, earlier, Apple's iPod, uh, coupled with iTunes, which puts some value back into the recording industry. But if you look at the charting, uh, you see that uh, the music industry is still bleeding money until streaming began to flip that, uh, that curve. Is that right? That's right, because streaming offered us such a convenient way of listening to music. I mean, you know, Neil, if he was here, wouldn't put down streaming. It's the quality of the streaming, not the fact that we have streaming. And, you know, streaming is is like AM radio, or actually maybe worse in many cases. Ah, oh, great analogy. So, yeah. And uh, we're, we're not even in FM, much less a high-fidelity right, uh, right. uh, speaker now, system. Right. Now, the good news is there's a few companies that are improving the quality of streaming. And I think there'll be a com- major company um, going to high-quality streaming in the, within the next year. And I think the industry will move in that direction. So they'll be forced to do so because a competitor will lead the way. It it won't Mm -hmm. be Apple. Mm -hmm. Um, Apple never believed in high quality uh, audio to to a great degree and uh but it'll be a major company and i think others will follow well can can that be done on like a you know a current iphone or uh other cell device because let's face it it all has to all has to work with this little guy here now it does is the uh hardware currently in uh, these phones able to provide that high quality streaming experience to the consumer themselves? right now not with most phones, with an mm. iPhone, you can pull the file out in digital form, mm. even if even if it's it's high res. But you can't do it through the electronics that are built in there. Mm. Most of the phones are limited to uh, CD quality or, or worse. Um, if you try to listen from the phone, uh, there's a couple of exceptions. LG makes a phone that that you can listen to high quality high res music is as good as, ah, as good as you okay. can. Okay, so LG does have a product have out phones. in the marketplace they today. They do. And uh-huh. you can add devices to your iPhone and other devices that'll bypass the electronics inside. So you use yeah, your it's iPhone. an aftermarket piece. Yeah, it's maybe not convenient, uh, but it's, there is no, a device. No, it's not convenient, and that's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, Neil has Neil and I have been working on the what's called Neil Young Archives. Yeah, and we've developed with a company out of Singapore a streaming service that will record that will deliver your music in the highest quality digital format. And it, and it knows what 
you have uh, what you're listening to uh, on and provides that uh, yeah. uh, to it's, that. It's self-adjusts. Yeah, so self-adjusts, yes. So yeah. if, if you're finding... I think it's called extreme, right? It's, it's called, yeah, it's extreme, right, yeah. with, a, with an X. Yeah. And, you know, Neil developed this primarily as a proof of concept. He's not trying to start a streaming company. What he really wanted to do was to show the industry that, you know... It can be done. It can be done. And it can be done <laughs> on a shoestring. Uh-huh. And, you know, Neil can do it with his music because he has control of his music. So he built a website that has everything he's ever recorded on that site for his fans to go in and listen and uh, enjoy his music in the highest quality possible. Now, once you once you get that file, once you listen to it, the streaming file, there's ways of getting it out into your system. It's not they're not easy, and you know if you have one of the limited LG phones, then you can hear. Or I've been able to hear it on you know through my computer using using an external plug-in device. Yeah, there's a lot of devices for you know higher end audio for around a hundred dollars yeah. or so, yeah. and you can enjoy and listen to it. So yeah. it is possible, but ultimately the argument is you're not going to get the phone companies to put in better quality electronics if there isn't content. So you you know it's a chicken and the egg. <laughs> right. Where do you start? So Neil right. says, well, I'm going to start by creating a a bunch of content that will deliver to phones and, and will work as well as any vinyl, nearly as good as a vinyl that we used to have. And, you know, and now I'm begging the phone companies and the hardware companies to make their equipment capable of delivering those to the music fans. Um, so I think what got us here, as, as I, you know, just laid out, uh, you know, what has happened to the music industry over the last 20 years, along with the music buying habits of the consumer, there is this acceptance of poor sonic quality. And that's that's where we're at right now. Right. That's correct. So by 2012, uh, Neil has made this a cause, and I think it was first outlined in his book, A Waging Heavy Heavy Peace. Is that right? Yes. And the result uh, of that was the, the first attempt at changing the reality with the Pono music player, correct? Right, right. And uh, I think I think that, that was one of the largest Kickstarter events uh, to ever be on that platform, if I remember right. It was when we, uh, you know, Neil was able to get some financing for his business and put in a lot of his own funds. But ultimately, you know, building hardware is expensive. That that was yeah. my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. and I've done lots of hardware. And is that when you were brought in with Neil to kind of work on the hardware side, the Pono player itself? It was. He mm -hmm. brought me in when he was trying to he had an idea and he wanted to implement it and it was not going well and so he got me and i had written a book called from concept to consumer a number of years ago and uh to help entrepreneurs with an idea to take that idea and and turn it into a product so i didn't know music as much as i knew how to get hardware developed so i came in put together a little team and together we we worked to design and develop and create this product, this pocket-sized product that would play fantastic quality music. And, you know, in parallel, there was a small team developing a music store where people could go in and buy the music and download it and put it on the player and hear the just the highest quality you can imagine. I think that was Omniphone, right? Yeah, that was Omniphone was part of that mm -hmm. uh, music store, right? Uh, that was the back end. 
and but we had to do a lot of the front end stuff ourselves and then we had to go find the music and get mastered uh there's about three million three million tracks on most music stores Mm -hmm. and yet only about four thousand of those were really high resolution and so we actually went out and and mastered a lot of content to create new high-res music to be able to sell. So you guys were doing this yourself. So you made the portable player, the Pono, which was your expertise the, uh, on the hardware side. But you also needed an interface, which was the store. And the, you also needed to update uh, the content itself by making it high-res ready. Right. So we had big ambitions and we didn't have a lot of money. And... Um, I, I came in and I said, well, gee, this, you know, Neil is this great music star and I assumed he would be able to raise the kind of money he needed to raise. And um, But eventually it ran out and we uh, struggled to keep going and we came up with, at that time, Kickstarter had been pretty successful funding hardware products for about a year or two. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, let's do a Kickstarter project. And uh, the way that works is, I'm, I'm sure most of you listeners know, um, a company will go out, ask for pledges, ask for money to help them develop a product. And um, the people that put in the money will maybe get a better buy if, it's, if the product is ever finished and delivered. But there's no guarantee. Yeah, it's a you know a startup uh, you know gamble uh, like uh, all startups are. Exactly, and now we're sharing the gamble with with people that care about the particular project. Yeah, a big part of the book really is you know a tech startup story, uh, you know, and one with the usual ups and downs in in the modern startup world, right? That's right. I wanted in the book to be able to not only cover the area that Neil felt was important about what was going on in the music industry, but then kind of show what he was willing to do to put energy and investment behind his his complaining. You know, it's easy enough to complain and criticize, but Neil took it to the next step. And that was, okay, this is the most important thing I've ever done in my life, trying to save music, and I'm going to... Yeah, not just his music. He's just talking music in general. In general, right. The whole industry, you know, he, he can save his music. He has that ability and that control. But he was concerned... Yeah, we are seeing that in the Neil Young archives today. It's right there. Right, mm-hmm. right. He was concerned about all of the music, that whether he, you know, it was music he liked or not, but the importance of music to the world and how, you know, how important it was and how important it's going to be in the future for future generations to be able to go back and look at the history of music. Okay, so in 2017, Apple bought out Omniphone, which was a part of the online store, at least. And that's really what killed off the Pono? A lot of things killed Pono. Um, Part of it was our management and our ability to raise money. And, you know, we... Those are normal tech uh, startup issues. Very typical. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, when I was living it, I said, this is a good story, not only to show how much effort Neil put in, but also it's a great startup and business story about what it takes to develop a product. That The idea is the easy part, but so much of it is execution. And there are so many companies right now out there or people with ideas. I have a great idea. I want to build a product. Well, what's involved in that? And this kind of is like a, a back 
backstage look at what really goes on to create a product, all the ups and downs and the challenges and the... Yeah, in a global environment. In the global uh, environment, yeah, yeah. particularly, you know, in Asia where that's where companies go to build products. Why do they do it? Um, why can't they do it here? So it's a, I think it's a great business story as well. So it seems that really the hardware manufacturers of the mostly the, the phones, let's face it, 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 we need to get this material into these handheld devices, that these mobile devices that we carry around with us uh, all day long. If that can happen, if the labels themselves, the, uh, the copyright holders, uh, will allow this high-res audio to be used at no extra cost and the artists themselves get behind this problem solved problem is solved and uh, but particularly you need the technology companies and the music industry to um, not continue to handicap the cost of high quality music so the physical player while proving the the concept um, just wasn't a success and you know like we said it, it's got to be a combination between the labels and the technologists right right Right, and it's got and and the fans, the fans have to hear it and they have to ask for it and demand it. So, and that goes back to the beginning where we said that this is this book is not just a one-off. This is a continuing conversation uh, that needs to be had that Neil's been having for thirty years, uh, and especially in the last ten, that uh, something needs to be done uh, to uh, to change this arc. Or we're going to lose all of the music that was created, uh, certainly in the 20th century, through degradation, fires, what have you. And we're, you know, never going to have this high quality of music that may actually enhance the, uh, if it enhances the overall consumer's experience, even subconsciously, that would just be a boon for everybody in the music industry, right? Right. Right, and and Neil thinks it'll make a much happier world if people can hear quality music. We're hoping, and and I think I think we're making progress. Uh, I'm optimistic that uh, we're going to see more of that available. If we if we're going to live with streaming, and, and stream, oh yeah, streaming, streaming is, is here to stay. It's, here to stay. It, it, it will eclipse uh, all formats, and you know there is a rise and has been for for several years now of high quality vinyl. Um, which, again, proves the case that there is a market out there for this high-quality audio. It's not an illusion, uh, is my point. And a lot of people have said, oh, you know, well, is there really that much of a difference? No, there really is that much of a difference. And you can hear it. Uh, in fact, I think the average person can pretty much pick up on it with high-quality vinyl today versus, uh, you know, a CD or, or, or definitely a, a streaming of the same piece. It it may take, you know, a little bit to get your ears used to that, but uh, in the end, you will gravitate to that higher quality, right? Absolutely. And it's like anything else. The more you spend time on a particular subject of interest to you, the more nuances you learn, whether it's, whether it's photography or wine or whatever it is. 
And I think the big point Neil makes is that high-resolution audio is not meant for the elite. It's not meant for the audiophiles only that have the money and can afford it. It's really meant for everybody. Everyone deserves it. Yeah, as we've discussed today and said over and over, there is no prohibitive cost to not providing high-res audio. Exactly. So why not? Why so, not have it? So Neil uh, has been um, uh, evangelizing this for uh, decades, and especially in the last 10 years. He's put his money where his mouth is. Uh, you proved the concept with the Pono player uh, in the online store, and then now the Neil Young Archives. And I, I believe you are the CEO of the Neil Young Archives. Right? Correct. Yeah. And so it is there for everybody to see and sample. We just need to get more artists to provide content on the level that Neil is doing, that might push it over the edge. Uh, you take that and the, this new streaming service that uh, you've mentioned uh, that is going to provide the high-res audio out there. All then we need is uh, for the labels to go, okay, we see the benefit. Sure, they'll open up those vaults and, and give uh, all of that. Uh, I, I think that's the easier uh, solution than the technology companies. They're the ones that are going to have to be forced, wouldn't you say? Right. Right. And I think they will, you know, if a big company comes out like Amazon or some other company, Google or somebody comes out with high res music, then the others will follow because it'll be the same price, but you'll get better quality. The market will help in the long term, but it's just taken a long time to get there. Well, uh, along with Neil, you know, maybe uh, if he talked to his buddy, um, Bob and put his catalog, our illustrious Nobel laureate uh, in rock and roll, and put his catalog up like Neil's. And of course, maybe Paul and Ringo. Uh, and uh, <laughs> if if the Beatles do it, everybody will do it, right? Right, right. Neil would like to do that, and and he's talked to Paul, and he's he wants to take his technology neil young archives just for those that aren't familiar is a website yeah please please and it's, it's neilyoungarchives.com anyone can go and listen to some of his music at any time it's there's an album of the week and a song of the day yeah just sample it's it yourself free. you don't mm -hmm. have to sign in mm -hmm. no you don't have to put your email address or anything you just go listen if you want to join it's 20 dollars a year and that opens up the entire catalog. Yeah, as everything well as a lot of Neil video. has done since 1963, uh, warts and all. Yep, and you know, video stuff that never made it onto vinyl, or onto tape, or onto CD. <laughs> it's all there. But I think what he what he'd like to do, what we'd like to do, is get other artists to take what we've done, and you know, Neil has offered to offer him, you know, a lot of the technology we built to develop the site and and let them take it and do it themselves. And so I think that's his dream. He'd like to have a site for everybody to be able to go preserve their music and allow their fans to hear it. All right. So you guys have been working together now for 10 years. You've been, uh, you know, making these strides. Are you optimistic or pessimistic that we will ever get to feel the music again? I think we're, we're both optimistic. Uh, I'm optimistic. I, from what I see going on in the industry, I think we'll see better music. There's a music service right now that started up in this country called Cobiz, Q-O-B-U-Z, which is high-resolution music. 
it's expensive. It's, it's on the high end of, of streaming music, but you can listen to the highest quality music. And I think generally it takes one little small startup company to lead the way, and then the big companies will follow. All right. Is there a next step for you and Neil to keep evangelizing this until it does actually happen? Well, our job right now is to build up, build the archives and, and bring more people to it so they can appreciate it and support the uh, other companies in the industry that are, are also building hardware and software to play high-res music. So I think uh, Neil's goal is basically to continue the fight, continue to evangelize it, and, and the best way he sees he can do that is by showing others what he can do and saying, look, we're just a small little group of people, but if we can do it, why can't you? So well, he's trying to shame the Googles and the Amazons <laughs> and, the, right. and the Apples. It's a, that's a tough thing to do these days. But. Yeah, well, you know, it all starts with consumer demand. Uh, you know, if enough people uh, out there make the demand, uh, the tech giants will follow. They'll, they'll, they'll provide it uh, out there. And as we see, it is not cost prohibitive. Uh, it is strictly a, uh, a desire to, uh, to provide this for the consumer and the consumer to demand it. I think it's really uh, down to, to that. Uh, you, you guys have already made a dent in the universe. Uh, there's no two ways about that. Phil Baker, thanks so much for being with us today on Deeper Digs and Rock. Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. It was great talking with you and talking to your listeners. And um, I, I hope we've helped a little bit of education. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people will come away saying, I did know that. I hope they do. I know I did. <laughs> thanks. call an education, a technological education. Thank you, Phil Baker. You gave us all a lot to chew on. High-res audio or Ultra HD audio really should be the standard in what we as consumers receive when we download or stream our favorite tracks, but that is not the case today. Should be, and if Phil and Neil have anything to say about it, it will be. As a matter of fact, I said at the top that a good technologist, hell, really anybody dedicated to a thing, understands failure is just a part of the learning curve. If you have a passion for a thing, you just got to keep on trying until you achieve success. As long as you learn from mistakes, it's all good, uh, just as the gods intended. So a day after Phil stopped by, Amazon made the announcement that they will be providing music in the high-res format, which at least gets us back to CD quality. Um, it is at a 
premium right now. And of course, the audio files need to be created in high res. So it's not all the music uh, in the uh, ecosphere yet, um, but it's a huge win and assures me with continued pressure, mostly by you, the consumer, that this will be the new standard. And by the way, Neil seemed very happy about the announcement. He said, Earth will be changed forever when Amazon introduces high-quality streaming to the masses. This will be the biggest thing to happen in music since the introduction of digital audio 40 years ago. That is quite an endorsement, Amazon. Great job moving the ball forward. I think the other service providers uh, platforms will uh, follow suit. And then there's the labels. Uh, you guys got to get all those tapes moved over to high-res digital before they are destroyed and gone forever. Okay, go out and get Phil and Neil's new book, To Feel the Music, wherever you get your good reads. Uh, hmm, maybe this time you really should get it from Amazon. Uh, they did do something nice after all. Next week, we will get to the seedier side of town as we delve into a new biography by Howard Soons, The Life of Lou Reed, Notes from the Velvet Underground. Howard is our guest, and his book is an excellent read on all things Lou Reed, The Dark Prince of the Underground. You will most certainly want to come back for that conversation. So I am out of here, off to Toronto to meet up with some of our Canadian Pantheon podcast hosts. I'll be seeing Martin Popoff of History and Five Songs, Ty Listen of The Band, A History, and our favorite ladies of the Great White North, Shante and Lynx of Muses. Keep up the rockin' uh, in the free world. Deeper Digs in Rocks, produced and hosted by Kristen Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.